For this reason, since the day we heard about you, so Paul is writing to the new Christians in the the, the city or the town of Colos or Colossae um, in that Mediterranean area over there in the east of the Mediterranean. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thanks, Lord, for this, your word. Amen. Well, we're about to... um, Let me turn on my microphone and we'll get that one out of the way. Uh, We're about to head off on a slightly different uh, journey to the way that we have been doing things, I suppose, and generally how we do church in regards to how we preach and what we teach. Normally, uh, we've been working through a passage. We take a book of the Bible... We've worked through that and that's what we've been doing for most of this year. Uh, For the next few weeks, we're going to take a slight tangent from that and we're going to be actually looking at um, ethics. Uh, In that, we're going to be looking at what biblical ethics are because I don't know about you, but there's lots of things happening around us in the moment, especially in the press, that are throwing up lots of issues for us uh, as Christians to think, how do we react? How do we relate? What do we do with this? Uh, So if you're here for the first time and you haven't seen this before, you think, uh, he hasn't actually picked the Bible apart for us today. Well, that's true. I'm not going to pick the Bible apart for us today. In a sense, I'm not going to preach from the Bible that way. What I'm going to do today is hopefully give us uh, a, a framework, in a sense, of which we can think biblically and ethically together. Uh, because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be tackling such, such issues as redefining marriage. We're going to be tackling issues such as uh, the normalisation of homosexuality. We're going to be looking at uh, the right to die, euthanasia and also the right to our own bodies, abortion. So uh, before I think we can tackle some of those issues, we really need to, in a sense, have ourselves a a good look at being able to have a a framework by which to look at those things. Because I think sometimes we just pull things out and we think, okay, euthanasia, um, I'll find a passage there out of the Bible, I'll pull that out, and that's it. Uh, Abortion, I'll go there. Marriage, I'll go there. Whereas I think, really, when we take the Bible, we need to look at it a bit more than that. The Bible uh, is a bigger book than that. It actually is a whole story, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. So today what we're going to be doing is, in a sense, giving us a bit of scaffolding uh, that will help us in the next couple of weeks. 
Now, as normal in Evanshead Presbyterian Church, uh, not everything goes to plan when you first get here on Sunday morning. So I actually had a clip that I was going to play for you this morning that was going to go on the screen and you're going to... This would have been a nice touch to set it all off. Uh, But for some reason, our computer today decided that it's not going to play that particular clip. Um, So it doesn't quite have the same impact. But... uh, I found a clip of a Beatles song that I thought would be really good to play for us today. Uh, Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a chance here to think about what do you think might have been a Beatles song that would be really helpful in setting the scene for how we tackle ethics? (laughs) Ah! So I told you technology doesn't work perfectly for you, does it? Dylan's doing a great job up there. He's got it. And you see how it's underlined. What that means is normally you can click that and it'll be hyperlinked to a little thing that will come up and you'd be watching the Beatles singing All You Need Is Love. Uh, I don't know. It's a, yeah, that's it. Da, 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 da. All you need is love. Yeah, it's close anyway. Um, go home, uh, get on your computer, open it up and have a look and see why I think it actually is quite a good uh, thing for us today. Uh, when you open up, they're sitting in, in uh, a studio, they've got a big band behind them, the four guys are just sitting down very casually playing and it's got the, the trombones and everything going behind it. But the key to the song is, all you need is love. And, and they go through and they state in every aspect, every part of life, whatever you do, wherever it is, whatever you're coming across, the key to life is love. And you know, I actually think that that is very close to a biblical ethic. I actually think it is a biblical ethic. I think when we look at the Bible, that the key to biblical ethics is love. Now, I'm not too sure whether the Beatles had the same concept of what love is to what the Bible has as love, but in one sense it is. It's all you need is love. And it's really catchy, isn't it? I think when we're in a world that we're in today uh, and we see all the stuff that's going on around us, sometimes we want to hang on to something really simple that can just narrow it down and nail it for us And in a sense, all you need is love. It's catchy enough to do that, isn't it? All you need is love. You think, I can grab hold of that. I can stick it in there and then I can somehow apply it to everything. Uh, But I think life's a little bit more complex than that too, isn't it? Uh, In some ways, we actually need to understand more what that love is. And we need to understand it from a biblical perspective, not just from a Beatles perspective. Uh, The Beatles showed what they thought love was in a number of ways in their lives. Uh, But when we come to the Bible, we actually get to see what a biblical ethic of love is all about. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start to put a bit of scaffolding around. What does a biblical ethic of love look like? Uh, How can we put that together for us? Uh, When you build a building uh, and you you see all the scaffolding that goes up around it, that's there really, doesn't it? It helps you to put the building together. Uh, It's not the building. The scaffolding isn't the building in a sense. It's what happens there when you build it and put it together. So what we're going to do today is actually try and put some scaffolding around so that when we actually come to look at the building, the ethical issues in the next couple of weeks, we'll have some scaffolding that will help us with that. Um, And what I'm hopefully going to do is I'm going to give you by the end of today uh, two things that I hope will help you. One will be a sentence that I think will hopefully help you uh, for those that are more linear in their thinking. Uh, and they like to see it written out. Uh, and then I'm going to give you a diagram uh, that those that uh, like to see things in pictures, and we'll see them in a picture format. Uh, both these are slightly different in a way, but both of them are nailing on what that whole concept of what a bi- biblical ethic of love is all about. 
Uh, so that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to look at. Hopefully we'll get to the end of it. I've got a sheet here that I'm going to hand out later that you can take home. Uh, it didn't photocopy quite as well as I'd hoped, but we'll hopefully work it out as we go through. And you can take that home and think about it. In our growth groups this week, that's what we're going to do, be doing. We're just going to spend some time looking at the statement and the, uh, the diagram and just discuss it. See whether you think these two things actually do come from the Bible and are helpful in regards to ethics. So that's what we're going to do in our growth groups this week. Uh, you don't have them yet, they'll be sent out during the week for you. Now this is a pretty big topic, it's a pretty big thing to try and tackle uh, and it's not always easy to pull it all together but hopefully, God willing, we will today and as we leave from here we'll be able to go out here and say, okay, I've got a bit of a scaffolding that I think when these issues come up I can look at them together. I'm going to pray because hopefully uh, it'll all come together as we get through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, the world that we live in is a very complex world. Lord, there are so many issues, uh, so many people who want to push certain points of view. Uh, Lord, throughout our press, we see so many issues arising and coming at us from every direction, Lord. Uh, We pray this morning that as we uh, take a moment to step back and have a look at your word together, as we step back and have a look at, at how you've Uh, spoken to us through your word about how we are to live and what we are to think, Lord, in regards to this world and how it operates. We pray, Father, that you'll give us clear minds to think through it and, Lord, that you'll open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, to see you within it and to see how you would have us uh, to approach and to work with the issues that come to us throughout this world, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look, I think the very first thing that we need to think about when, uh, even before we get to these sentences and these diagrams, is there's two things I want to bring up with you. I think there are two key things we need to understand about the Bible that will help us think this through. Uh, The first one that we need to think about and realise is that when we trust and believe in Jesus, when we come to the point when we realise that Jesus... His life, death and resurrection is the only way for us to be right with God. That when he dies on the cross, he pays the penalty for our sin. And he takes it all upon himself. That when we trust in that, then we are made right with God. We're brought into a relationship with God through Jesus. That we have an identity in Christ. That our identity now is not just us as individuals by ourselves, but we have actually been brought into... Christ, into him in a sense, within him, within his community, within his kingdom, that we now have an identity that is wrapped up with him and that is a phenomenal act of love that God has done for us. You know, we don't deserve it, do we? We don't deserve to be part of God's family but he lovingly has grabbed us and brought us into his family because of that. Uh, The other night on Sunday night show, I think it is, I don't watch it on 7, I don't know whether you saw the promo for it, but the promo just, I sort of looked and I thought, how did they do that? They said, this is the greatest act of love from the greatest actor in Australia. Anyone see the story? The greatest act of love by the greatest actor in Australia. It's by Jack Thompson. It's about Jack Thompson who met a young boy who's in Cambodia who was blind and for 20 years he supported him and helped him and he went back to visit him after 20 years and they filmed it. Now, I looked and I thought, that's a pretty good act of love, isn't it? That's not bad. But the greatest from the greatest actor? I'm not sure whether Jack Thompson's even the greatest actor in Australia, let alone the greatest act of love. In one sense I thought, 
Isn't that sad? I mean, it was with a, a very low-slung voice in the background with music going on behind. So a very emotive type thing to try and get you to watch Channel 7 on Sunday night. I didn't get me to watch it. But, uh, but I thought, isn't that sad, though, that here we have, in a sense, a great thing, but a good thing, but here we suddenly made it the greatest. But when we compare that to God who sent his son into this world, Jesus Christ, who came and entered into our world in amongst sinful people and sinful world, took on sin for us, died and rose again, took all the punishment for us. Jack Thompson, I'm sorry, that's not the greatest act of love, is it? Good on you, mate. I'm pleased for you. That's great for the young kid in Cambodia. But, mate, God blows it out of the water. The greatest act of, that has ever been is that God sent Jesus into the world for us and he brings us and incorporates us into him, into his family. In John chapter 15 it says that we have been engrafted into Jesus, into the vine. That in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it says that we are now a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We now are part of Christ's body in a sense. We now are part of his family. We now have been incorporated into him. We now have a whole new identity. And in some sense, what we are supposed to be now, we are to live lives that are Jesus-shaped lives of ourselves. That how we are to live is to be impacted by the fact that we've been brought into Christ. So we've been brought into him, then that is to impact how we live. So now our lives are to be Jesus-shaped lives of ourselves. Have a think about that. Notice that it doesn't take out the fact that we are different, that we're unique in who we are and our own personalities, but yet we are now to be Jesus-shaped lives of ourselves. That is what we are to move towards. That is who we are. That is our identity. No longer are we the scum of the world. No longer are we the fat kid around the corner. No longer are we the person who has dyslexia. No longer are we the person who can't be successful in business. No longer are we the good builder. No longer are we... We are now in Christ. We are now to be Jesus-shaped, live Jesus-shaped lives of ourselves. In a sense, what's been happening to us, it's like... uh, Ronaldo or Messi or one of those great footballers, Pelé if you're back in that time frame or Maradona if you're liking back that, that time frame. We've actually been invited to play soccer with the greatest player in the world. Uh, Maradona's got us, he's brought us onto the team. Now looking out there amongst you today, sorry to say this, but there's very few of you that would get on his team normally. Okay? Uh, most of us would struggle. Some of us have got decent hand-eye coordination, but we wouldn't be anything like him, will we? And we'd be on his team. We've been invited onto his team. And on this soccer team, as the game goes on, what happens is we stand and watch him play all the game, basically. He scores the goals. He defends. He does that. We're sort of there helping, but not much really. But he takes all the credit uh, and he basks in the glory, but he brings us into that. He brings us into that glory. And as we start playing with him and as we start watching him, we think, man, that is impressive, isn't it? Look at his footwork there. Look at his team. Look how he moves it. Look at the tactics that he's got there. And we start saying, I want to play like that. So we start playing along with him for about two minutes and then we sit back on the ground and puff and wheeze for a little while. But over time, we start to get on board with Jesus. As time goes on, we start to play with the captain. And as time goes on, we start to play like the captain. And that's like us in life, isn't it? When we trust and put our trust in Jesus, you know, we sort of think, wow, this is just too big. I can't be like him completely. 
As we spend time with him and get to know him and love him and experience him, then we start to want to play with him because we see that Jesus is the ultimate. He lived life the way that life should be lived. So we start to live for him. So we start to be conformed to be like him. So our identity gets to become like him. And so what happens is as we start to live our lives now, when we start to think about the decisions that we make, when we start to live in this world that is complex, we start to think, well, I need to live as one in response to my captain. I think that was on recently, wasn't it? Uh, Dead Pope Society, my captain, my captain. We want to be like him, don't we? We want to live for him. And the decisions that we want to make need to flow from him. You see, he's the pinnacle of it all. Jesus, our identity, him, who he is and what he is, is the central part of makes up our Christian ethics. And you know what Jesus says is the key to Christian ethics? It's the key to life? He says it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. All you need is love. There, isn't it? It's about loving God with all that you can and loving each other as much as we can. You see, that's the Christian ethic in a sense. It's Jesus, as we live for him, we start to live to love God with everything and to love one another as well. And that flows out in how we do it and how we live. But the key is Jesus, isn't it? You see, our true humanity is wrapped up as we become the Jesus-shaped people that we should be with him as our captain. And that, you know, the interesting thing about that too is that that is not an individual thing, is it? Because we are brought into community by Jesus. He says we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love one another. You see, we're not just individuals in there. We're not just in Christ by ourselves. We're in Christ together. If you read through the Bible, the number of one another passages that are there just blows your mind. We are not by ourselves, we are together. We are relational, we are interrelational. We are people who are gathered together and are to live this life together. So our love has to be across that. It's an interrelational love. And that's against the world, isn't it? Because the world that we live in has two extremes. One is individualism, which is the Western world generally, which says the individual is the ultimate goal. Whatever decisions we make, we make them according to that. So, when it comes to euthanasia, the individual has the right, it's his. So therefore, individual rules, we do it from that perspective. When it comes to abortion, the individual rules, therefore it's the right to the woman to decide what they do with their body. Individual rules. So the individualism, that's where it happens for us. And we are, I don't know about whether you realise it or not, but we have been indoctrinated with it for the last 30 or 40 years, maybe longer. And I don't think you really realise, I don't think I realise how much we think from an individual perspective. It is rife through us in everything that we do. So individualism, that's one of them. The other one is collectivism. So individualism is the Western world way that we tend to do things. Collectivism is the way in which often communist societies work. So where that says that... The, the group is more important than the individual. So when we make decisions about stuff in communism, you can wipe out a whole lot of people because it's better for the, whole, the rest of us. So individuals don't have rights specifically. It's all about the good of the whole. 
And now I think both of those are extremes and both of those aren't biblical, are they? The biblical one is interrelational. It says that we are individuals but we are individuals in community and when we need to make decisions, we make decisions as individuals which impact and affect the community and that they are directed by love. Uh, there are other things that impact us and I don't think we realise that as well but we, uh, I think they're the, t- the two big ones we can think of. Individualism, collectivism, but we're interrelational, we're in the middle in a sense. That's the biblical ethic. Okay? And I think the other thing that I think impacts uh, Western and I think us here in Australia particularly is a sense of not only individual, we want to be individuals but we want to be individuals that are in a group and the group impacts us. And so I want to be an individual but I actually still want to be in that group that's over there so I'm going to do stuff that makes that group accept me. There's been some amazing studies that have shown that if you're in a situation and the group is going to do one thing, that even the strongest person gets sucked into that group at points in time. You have a look at Nazism. The group, that's what it's about. And you'll see that happens in war a lot, doesn't it? Because it's the big group. You go, I'm going to be accepting that. Therefore, I will do and cause two atrocities because I want to be accepted by that group. On a smaller scale, at school... Because I want to be accepted by that group, then I will smoke that joint. If I'm in a smaller aspect when we're around town, then I will drink more because I want to be accepted by that group. See how it works? So that impacts us. So I think when we have to think about how do we do Christian ethics, we need to remember that we have been unbelievably impacted by individualism. And we need to think outside of that as Christians. And we also need to remember that we have been majorly impacted by the fact that I want to be part of a group as well. So let me just pull that together. Uh, Identity, who we are in Christ is most important in how we think about it. Who we are in Christ, we've been incorporated into him. Uh, He has empowered us by his Holy Spirit. I haven't talked much about that today, but that's uh, part of what we see in the Scriptures too. So not only have we been invited onto the team and brought onto the team, and we watch how it goes, but we've also been empowered by the Spirit that enables us to actually play soccer better than we ever thought we could possibly play, uh, and helps us to do that. Uh, and we want to become Jesus-shaped people like of, of ourselves. We want to become like him, like our captain, and we want to do that in interrelational terms. We want to do that in loving God and loving one another. Not individual, not collectivism, but interrelationally. The next thing that I think we need to take into account very quickly before we uh, get onto the things is we need to realise that the Bible is one story. And you might say, yeah, we know that, Paul. That's pretty basic. We all know that the Bible is one story. But can I stress to you that the Bible is one story. Some of the really bad ethics that happens out in our world around us from Christian perspectives is that we forget that the Bible is one story. And what we do is we just dive into a part in the Bible, we whip it out and we go, here, this is what God says about whatever it is. But the Bible is a story, isn't it? We can't just rip passages out and say, well, this is how it applies. We need to say, well, where does it fit in the story? How does it fit in the story? What's God doing in the story at this point in time? How does it impact that? Where is Jesus in the story at this point in time? So when it comes to the Old Testament, we need to think, well, how does Jesus impact that? Because Jesus is the core of it. I'm going to show you that in a second. 
But we need to remember the Bible's story. When you uh, go to a film or you watch a movie, you probably don't realise it, but they have what they call a narrative arc. And this narrative arc works from the beginning to the end and they actually have the story all planned out. And what they do is they bring in things at different places to try and grab you into the story to get you to the end. Okay? And so that's what the Bible's like too. It's got a biblical arc to it. It starts at Genesis as it finishes at Revelation and in throughout of it we see how God brings in things at different times, at different points to show us, to guide us, to bring us, to take us, to explain to us who he is, how great he is and how wonderful and beautiful Jesus is. So let me just give you a really quick overview of a biblical arc for you. Now there are different people who can do this in different ways and show it, but I think this is a pretty simple way to show how the Bible works, Okay. Uh, let's whack the next thing up for us. All right, so there's uh, five things, I think, which can help us see the biblical arc very quickly for you. Uh, the very first thing is creation, Genesis chapter 1 to 3. Now, if anyone tells you that Genesis chapter 1 to 3 is a waste of time, don't go there, they are wrong. Genesis 1 to 3 is vitally important to the rest of the Bible because in Genesis 1 to 3, the whole story is set up and the big problem of the story is set up. Now, I'm not going to get into the fact whether it's a seven-day creation or long-period creation. I don't think that's the big issue in Genesis. I think the big issue in Genesis is what God is doing, how God set it up, what he did, why he did it, and how sin damages it. So creation sets nature and purpose for everything. So just about all our ethics, in one sense, needs to get back to Genesis because in Genesis we see why God sets stuff up. What's the nature of things? What are they? And what are the purpose of things? you and me specifically, and the world itself. Genesis 1 to 3 sets that up for us. So it sets the moral order. Uh, it sets that relationships are the key from Genesis 1 to 3. So creation is vital to Christian ethics. We need to understand that. But we need to understand that what happens at Genesis chapter 1 to 3 is rebellion. It's broken. Genesis 1 to, th- 1 to 2 is no longer like that. The world doesn't look like that anymore. It's been broken. Sin has entered in. It's caused a disruption. And so the relationships are broken. The moral order is broken. The world is broken. It's not going to look like that yet. So it breaks everything. And we need to realise that when we think about biblical ethics. The world is not going to look like a Christian world yet. Okay? It's not going to look like it. Uh, But the rest of the story, so that happens in Genesis 1 to 3. That first two really important things are in Genesis 1 to 3. Now the rest of the Bible pretty much, especially the Old Testament, is all about restoration. It's how God goes about restoring relationships. And the stories that we hear as you work your way out of Genesis right through to the end of the Old Testament, right up to Jesus, is all about how God goes to work about restoring that relationship that was broken in Genesis 3. And we see how he... He comes in, he tries to destroy it, people sin. He comes in, he attempts to restore it, people sin. He comes in, he says this is the way to restore it, people sin. That is the continual cycle of the Old Testament, isn't it? It keeps going over. So when we look at the Old Testament, we see what God says to us there, especially in some of the Old Testament commands and so forth, we've got to realise that what God is trying to do there, he's trying to restore relationships. And it teaches us all about God's character. So those Old Testament laws, in some sense, we can't automatically say, well, that's exactly how we should live because we're not back in Israel. We're not back in that time. 
We can't just peel it out and go, here it is. This is we need to do harder work than that. They can be really helpful and they can guide and direct us and they can show us what God's character is like but in one sense they don't dictate how we live because we've got to remember that Jesus comes in a little bit later too. A whole lot of information here, isn't it? Uh, so restoration, that's what we're talking about there. He tries to restore it and the restoration happens in Jesus. He is the fulfilment of it all. He's the way to restoration. He's our identity. He's our, he's our glasses by which we look through in making ethical decisions. He's our captain of our team. He's the one that we look through and we go back and we see how does the Old Testament work, how does it get to him and then that helps us as we think about how we go to live. And then finally the consummation, when all relationships will be restored. That's eternity, or when Jesus returns, whichever one is earlier. And that's where it's going from. It's going from where relationships were perfect, they've been destroyed, God wants to restore them, and where he wants to bring them back together again. And so that helps us in a sense of a framework of thinking ethically about things that we do. It's a biblical story, it's a biblical arc. We need to remember that we, when we come in at different places, when we make decisions about stuff, we need to work hard at working out where is it in the biblical arc? Where is it in the story? How does that impact how we live and what we think about things, what's right and wrong? All right, I know there's a whole lot to try and think through and pull together in a very short period of time. But I'm going to hand out to you, uh, I'm not too sure whether I've done enough sheets, but if Nigel could go and hand these out to you, and if you can read them, it might be also helpful, but you'll see they're going to come up on the screen. So what I'm going to do now is just very quickly give you two, two things uh, that pull all that together, the fact that we are in Christ, our identity is Him, that our, the Bible, biblical story is an arc that is a biblical story. It goes from the beginning to the end, uh, that there's parts of it. So we're going to have a, a quick look at some things that will help us put together a framework for thinking biblically, ethically about things. Now, can I say that these things about to go up there aren't mine? I'm not that brilliant. Uh, I, maybe one between two if there's married couples noise, because otherwise I think we'll be struggling to give them all out. Um, uh, these, the two things I'm going to put up for you today come from two guys who've been written, writing about ethics. They're both Australians, and uh, so it's really helpful, isn't it? Um, and this is just... Two different frameworks you can look at, okay? The second one I find a lot easier because it's a sentence and I can handle a sentence. I'm not that good on the, the shapes things. Have we got them? And if you can't read the writing inside the, the photocopy one, you can copy off here to put them in if you like. So, so what we're saying is uh, from our identity in Christ, that Jesus is the key. That's why we read Colossians 1, by the way. If you wonder why Colossians 1 fit in the whole passage, because it shows that Jesus is the crux of it all, uh, that our wisdom and our knowledge is wrapped up in him. He was there before the beginning. He created all things. All things were created for him. He is the one that everything is wrapped around. And so that's why we read Colossians chapter 1. So as you see, that puts Jesus in the middle, doesn't it? Okay. Jesus is the key to it and uh, as Christians in community we want to become a Jesus-shaped community. We want to be people who live as him as our captain and make decisions about things as he would have us make decisions. So he's in the centre, he holds it all together. But round the outside are these uh, in a sense are like poles of which we can work within and this is where we build our biblical ethic within these things. We don't go outside them, we stay within them because this is what the Bible, the biblical picture of the Bible is like for us, of how it works. 
So, it's, uh, as I said before, it's got creation at the beginning. So that, in a sense, is one pole. We start there. We don't go outside of creation. Creation helps us set us up there. But we realise that, that there's the fall that's disordered those desires and we've got false belongings. That is, in a sense, we falsely look for things to satisfy us. We falsely look for places by which we can have identity in. It's mucked it all up. Uh, Jesus changes that, obviously. He's the one that brings that back together. Uh, within that, we know that we learn about God's character throughout the whole of the Bible, not just the Old Testament, but the whole of the Bible. We learn about God's character. That helps us understand how he operates and how he works, and that helps us understand the commands and, and how they fit together. And that's all moving towards the new future, which is eternity. So our ethics need to be thinking about not only where we started, but where we're heading to as well. And that they are by, we live by Christ's spirit there, uh, reordered desires, love and true inclusion. So our, we reorder how we do things. So we're thinking from that perspective rather than the other. Uh, let me just flick up the next one because I think the next one is helpful too. So what that means, when we look at creation, it gives us an order to how things should have been. Uh, when we look at God's character, we see that he's holy, that he is godly, and that is, a, a, that is how he operates. Uh, when we see Jesus, we see it's a method. In a sense, it's a way to do relationships, a way relationships should operate. Uh, and when we see the new future, we see that it's a goal, it's where we're heading to. And that the commands are all related to how we love God better or love one another better. That's where all the commands are heading to. How do we love God better and how do we love one another better? I hope that sort of makes a little bit of sense for you. So that's a bit of a, if you like diagrams, and you like how diagrams fit and around and how they move and it uh, gives you a bit of a perspective there that way. Uh, but if you like one crystal clear sentence that just pulls it all together, let's have a look at that. Uh, this is again not mine. It's called the Mutual Love Ethic, uh, which is uh, taken from all the stuff that we've put together so far. So an action or a trait of character is right if and only if it promotes, creates or maintains mutual love relationships between God and humans, which uh, also includes between the created order of nature and between humans and humans, groups, individual and inner harmony. So it takes the great commandment, doesn't it? And puts it into words for us in a sense, puts it into an ethic. So when we think about decisions that we need to make, uh, whether they're right or wrong, uh, how am I to live within this? Then we need to think, how does it impact God's relationship with us? How does it impact our relationship with each other? Okay? Bit technical today, isn't it? But I think we need to have this because uh, I'm, we're only going to touch four topics in the next couple of weeks up to the end of the term. We're going to be, you are continually faced with decisions day in, day out. You are bombarded with issues. Just the other day, if you read the paper, you would have seen that there was a group that was pushing for Ernie and Bert to get married off the Sesame Street. Because Ernie and Bert have been living together for so long, they need to acknowledge the fact that they're homosexual and they need to get married because that would legitimise it and then they would be able to go on and live as they were supposed to live. So it's not just what happens in the world out there, does it? But it happens in Sesame Street that we are impacted by people's perspectives and people's desires to push their ethical values onto us. 
And you're going to face them every day. It's not just how we deal with Ernie and Bert. It deals with how you use your computer. It deals with whether you download or don't download programs off the computer. It deals with uh, whether you're going to drive with inside the speed limits or not inside the speed limits. It deals with how you're going to, what sort of stuff you're going to tell your neighbour or not tell your neighbour. Because it's not just the big issues, is it? It's about how we live. As we live to serve our Captain Jesus. And that's an everyday thing. Let's pray.